Now, I'm not so sure that the presentations and what you've seen on the video and just what you see on the Revival Times really captures what's, it, what's in my heart for, for Easter and the week next week as we, as we build up to it. In January, in our vision week, we had no business, nothing to do with um, the strategies and plannings we normally work on in January. We spent the better part of that week in the presence of God. And uh, it was wonderful. And every service since, something is in the atmosphere, something is in the air. And I came back having been away for two weeks thinking, Lord, is it still here? And it is still here. But the great business that we have as children of God is to open up to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Open up to the leading of the Spirit. You, you, you don't just sit and wait for something to happen. You can't make it happen. But when God begins to move, you wake up. And you say, Lord, here am I. I'm here. And I, I want to see you opening more and more to, to what God wants to do. Not just what he is doing, but what he wants to do. So this week, your cell leaders will help you. But this week, and on into Easter week if you choose, but this week in particular, take some time, some special time, to seek God. Ask him about your life. Ask him what he wants to do in you. Ask him about the things that he's wanting to put his finger on. Because this move of God, whatever it will be, it will be a time of an amazing move of God's holiness. Before I... Um, read around and listened to a lot of what other people were saying, I felt sure that God was going to send a revival of holiness. And the way it came across to me in my thinking and reflecting before the Lord was that there is coming a season that we can step into the holiness of God in a way that is pleasing of course, pleasing to God, ultimately pleasing to God, and that's the most important thing, but also something that is going to be pleasing to us. It's going to be pleasant. I, I, I want to say it's going to be easy, but my theology stops me because there's no such thing as effortless holiness. But we're going to find God's Spirit working in us in a way that we will step into something new in the level of God's presence, His holy presence, and we will say, why? Why didn't I change all this before? And stuff that has been clinging closely to you, you will find it easy to shake it off. And I'm not saying wait for that time. Tonight, determine to leave a whole lot of stuff behind here and go home freer than when you came. I, uh, Dr. R.T. Kendall um, uh, pointed out a prophetic word that was presented and, and put forward and offered to us, to, to the body of Christ, by Paul Cain, who is 
still under invitation to be with us in about seven weeks' time around Pentecost weekend. And there's some remarkable words, and we recorded them for you. And just to let you know, when we write prophecies down, we're not thinking that they're going to add to Scripture and that there's some kind of infallible revelation. But when prophetic people speak, something of what they're saying can carry a revelation from God. And he says, seems to me that you're going to see some things that will leave some of you without words for days. I would say it's spiritually gobsmacked. There is a resurgence of the fear of the Lord coming. And it will fall suddenly, unexpectedly, and unannounced. A new day is coming, it's not an encore this will be like no other. And uh, also he says, I, I think it's a waste of time telling people to get ready for it. It's going to be so awesome and so overwhelming that nothing could have prepared us for that. Do you hunger for that? I do. But to be open with you tonight, I'm not exactly sure um, well, I, let me put it this way. I can't say I'm not sure I want it, because I do. But there is an apprehension. Because when God moves in these levels of power, and his presence is so clearly amongst us, of course there will be joy and God's grace will be upon us. I know that. But there will be an awesome sense of the fear of God. I'm not talking about the fear of judgment and condemnation, that kind of craven fear which is tormenting, I'm talking about the holy fear of God. And some of the stuff that you dare to try and get away with now, you will not even dare to. Do you still want it? Okay. Let's turn to the scripture now. And by the way, that was just a hello. I'm now beginning to preach. All right. <laughs> Acts chapter 5, verse 11. Turn in your Bibles. The words will appear on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, you will see what Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 10 is all about. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Well, if you haven't read it before, Find a safe place at home and read it later. They were struck down in the presence of the Lord because they had not been truthful about their offering. Now, do you still want God to come in power? Some of you are more sure and others are less sure. But let me just comment on that. This visitation of God was so charged with his holy presence that things like this, and we, we see it happened once, it's not recorded, it happened again, and, and I would say for that season, once was enough. Everybody got the message. Why would God be so radical? and drastic 
in a situation where he is moving with power. Think about it for a moment. It parallels in my mind with the sin of Achan in the Old Testament. After the triumph of Jericho, there was a little bit of stuff going on which was not, not glorifying to God. And as a result of that, the armies of Israel were defeated at the next battle. When God moves in power, and by power I, do, I don't just mean raw power, I mean when God moves in power that flows from his holy presence, you don't mess with him. Now, I'm not giving you an excuse to mess with him at any time. But God will deal with us drastically, if necessary, so that his purpose will be fulfilled. God wanted the armies of Israel to fully possess the land, and this now was going to stop them in their tracks. And so that sin had to be dealt with. And, and the same here, I think it's a bit similar God was now, shortly after the day of Pentecost, visiting Jerusalem with awesome power, moving in power, and nobody, nobody would be allowed to stand in his way. And in his grace, he removes obstacles, even if those obstacles are people. Don't say amen at this point. Just say, God help us all. Anyway, I had to say all of this, it's not my message, I just want to move on from this, and we begin in verse 11, but now you'll know now why verse 11 is so powerful. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. The fear of God begins in the house of God, but when the fear of God is in the house of God, the fear of God spills over the walls and touches our community around us. They all heard about those things. We shall see in a while, little while when we read, that they were terrified. Don't go near those people. They're dangerous. There's something weird happening. But look at the grace of God continuing. Verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. It's extraordinary. Nobody dared join them, but more and more believers were added to the Lord. It's because God worked in their hearts and drew them. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid, on, uh, laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. We read in the Bible, on occasions like this, 
when everybody was healed. We read in the Bible sometimes where some were healed. We read in the Bible where one was healed. And we read in the Bible where none were healed. So we don't measure these things by necessarily how many people were healed. I know it'll sound a bit like that when I talk this evening, but because when, when God chooses to move in miraculous power, he doesn't do it by half measures. And in the season that is coming, now uh, I know I'm, I'm tired of it, and, and I hope you're tired of it, people saying something good is coming, the, the, there is a new move coming, the, the revival of God is coming, and, and, and they keep on saying it, and, and nothing happens. And so people try to work something up. But believe me, a revival is coming, a great revival that will sweep across the nations, that will shake the foundations of whole continents. I believe, we'll go into it, into it tonight, Dr. Artie Kendall's teaching on the Midnight Cry has a lot on this, that there will be a final move of God that will be so great, I don't expect it to be a long time. It won't have to be a long time. Now, I'm not saying that what we are sensing is the beginnings of that. I have no authority to say that. I, I would love it to be true, and, and even if I secretly suspected it might be true, it doesn't help us tonight. But let this help you. God is sending times of refreshing in advance of that great time. And I believe that we are in the beginning of the beginnings of such a move of God. It's not just because I feel good and we feel good and everything's going fine. This, this kind of talk is happening all over the world by serious people, not just by Pentecostals and charismaniacs, but serious people who are asking God what is happening in our time to understand the times and the seasons in which we live. But I have a deep conviction that God is calling us as a church to seek his face as never before because he wants to do unprecedented things in the house. I expected a stronger amen. amen. Maybe you're still thinking of Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> Let me move on into this because I want to get down to ministry and to pray with you. Pray with you. There was a... Um, Lutheran theologian who lived uh, the latter part of the last century, I think he died in around um, 1937. Um, and some said he was one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century. A great deal about his theology we probably would not agree with. He was rejected by the Lutheran church because they considered him too liberal, and he was in many occasions. But he set himself out to study something that he later wrote up called the idea of the holy. And in his examination and study and thought and reflection, he came to understand something. That there is in every human being, psychologically speaking, a desire 
for the transcendent. Something that is bigger than us. Something that is higher than us. A lot of people are fond of saying today, the universe is within you. And all your resources are in you. And the transcendent is within. I, I want to say, human, fleshly, mortal beings, we cannot compare with the eternal, uncreated, exalted, infinite, glorious, all-powerful, transcendent God. And there is a hunger for this. Now that hunger isn't always complete and, and often it's misdirected and I'm not saying that there is this natural inclination in the heart of human beings to seek God because the Bible says none seek him, not truly. If you are seeking God tonight, know it's the Spirit of God at work in your life. But we all come to acknowledge that we are incomplete without this spiritual element. And there is a hunger, there is a thirst, there is a desire for the transcendent. Uh, a number of years ago when we were holding um, encounters in what was Annan Court in, in, the, in those days, and there were young, young people there, teenagers and young people, and um, they, 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 they love, apparently, we didn't do it, but they love, apparently, horror stories. And they were talking about the horror, story, horror, horror movies. You know horror movies? Um, in, in French, ciné frisson, quelque chose comme ça. And, um, and, and a lot of parents and adults say, oh, this is bad. But, but I, I, I understood something about it. We have denied our young people any sense of awesomeness and the fear of God and the transcendence and they long for that spiritual dimension. Because we are not just body people, we are body, soul, spirit people. Yes, now we are fallen in our humanity and that fall has affected us in every way, including our thirst. And we thirst for the wrong things or seek satisfaction in the wrong things, not according to truth. But there is only one truth when it comes to spirituality. God is spirit. Those, those that worship him, Jesus said, should worship him in spirit and truth. And because God is spirit, and we've been created in his image, we have a human spirit, our human spirit, especially once awakened, thirsts for communion. Spirit to spirit, thirsts for communion with the living God. The whole of the Bible can be summarized in Isaiah 51, 55 verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's free. So the whole of the Bible, in a way, is God's invitation to say, come to the living waters, come to the only source of true spiritual satisfaction and the only source of every other form of lasting satisfaction. But the whole of human history, by contrast, despite this fact that we are 
thirsting for something and looking for something can be summarized by God's words to Judah in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Prophesying over the people of God, Jeremiah says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. It's a negative passage, but grab hold of that. The fountain of living waters. Are you thirsting for more of him tonight? They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out water tanks, cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So we spend the whole of our life thirsty, looking for water in the wrong place. But our God is an awesome God. And he's opened up that fountain of living waters to us all. He is the fountain, and when we fellowship with him, he promises to give us that very same fountain in us, which is God living in us, and God constantly refreshing us and restoring us and satisfying us. Remember what Jesus said to the woman of Samaria? And she was getting water from the well. And she began to argue, you people say this, our people say that. And Jesus said, listen, lady. Well, actually, he didn't. The text says Jesus answered her. But I think it was a listen, lady moment. Listen. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Are you going to ask him for a drink tonight? Are you going to ask him for the living water? And Jesus went on to say in John 4, 13 and so, says, everyone who drinks the water, this water, the water of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But I don't want you to think this is just about God giving us satisfaction. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. You can't go to your friends who are looking for satisfaction in all kinds of things say, no, 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 don't find satisfaction there. Come to Jesus, he'll give you satisfaction. Now that's true. But first of all, you have to see that God wants to satisfy himself. I, what I mean by that is that everything about this part of the book of Acts, and in, indeed the whole of it, is about God being given his rightful place. And when, when we understand how awesome our God is, how glorious he is, how holy he is, and when we find ourselves increasingly experiencing his holy presence, 
it's not about me any longer. It's not about my satisfaction. It's about, wow, oh God, you are awesome. When God moves in, let, let's, call, let's call it times of revival, when he moves in power, when his presence seems to be almost uniquely experienced, all it is is God showing us who he really is. Why don't you stretch your hands out right now? Why don't you pray along with me, Oh God, show me who you really are. Thank you, Lord. He's the awesome God, the fearful God, and holy. And after this um, this experience, this event of Ananias and Sapphira, it says, none of the rest dead join them. But the people held them in high esteem. The time is coming, friends, when the church will no longer be ignored or mocked or marginalized or treated with indifference. When the fear of the Lord hits a community, no one will dare join us. But despite themselves, they will flood in through the doors. Why? Because they will know that he is everything that they long for. So what happens when God shows up? I mean, really shows up. I've already been emphasizing, before I move on, let me do it again. Holiness. We need to understand that God is not like us. I think the phrase of Rudolf Otto was the holy other one. He is entirely, 100% different, holy other than anything we are. We are creatures, he's the creator. And that's the first understanding of the word holy, it means difference. He's not just a little bit different, he's absolutely different. Absolutely different. He's God. When you understand that He is not like us, we will stop trying to make Him fit in with us. And we'll do everything to fit in with Him. When we see him, we long to be recreated in the image. I, I love it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Verse 10, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And it goes on to talk about not by works, as anyone should boast. Then it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship. The word there is created in Christ Jesus. 
but it actually is talking about the second creation, recreated. We long to be recreated in his image. We long to be like him, to fall in line with him. And we know that God is totally, 100% sin intolerant. I've just come from Scandinavia and I, I, went, I was so confused at breakfast time that I didn't even have any milk. But there were about six, eight bottles. This was this intolerant, this was that taken out, this was this kind of milk. There's a lot of lactose and, and uh, intolerance there. God is 100% intolerant to sin. Now, if you had a lactose intolerance here, and you had a glass of milk, it would make you sick. And nobody would say, what a terrible, intolerant person you are. They would understand. Until that thing gets fixed in your body, it is part of your physical mechanism at that time to be intolerant. And it's not that God is a hateful, vengeful, intolerant God in, uh, in human terms, in the way we understand that, but his very nature, it is impossible for him to look upon sin. That's why it took such an amazing, almost unbelievable sacrifice of Christ shedding his blood, which was the only thing that could deal with our sin so that God could look at us and receive us. If you want to know what God thinks of sin, think of the cross. It was nailed there with Christ. God's holy presence cannot tolerate sin. And I, I have this picture in my mind, is that when God reveals himself to us, we're just going to leave all those idols behind and we're going to rush into his presence. I think of Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence. Listen to this. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and there was no place found for them. This is talking about the, the final revelation, the final unveiling of who God is, where there will be nothing held back, no mystery. The power of God will be turned up at full force and the presence of God will be absolutely, totally there for everybody to see and there will not be any room, not even for the earth or the sky and it will be impossible to flee. But oh, thank God for his grace. And how amazing, friends, how amazing that we can stand in the presence of God, the God who is a consuming fire, and like Moses' burning bush, we are not consumed. That's the grace of God, and that's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, I want you to praise him. Thank you, Lord. I guess it's around 20 years ago now 
when I was in Brazil during the days, which looking back on it, was kind of like revival. 20 million people were swept into the kingdom of God during that time, not through our meetings or ministry, but right across Brazil. And there was an unusual sense of God's presence and we went there many, many times and teams were with me and some of you were with me there and you can testify to the remarkable signs and wonders and miracles that were happening. And uh, when you are to speak to a very large crowd, uh, especially when you're not an evangelist, but pretending to be an evangelist, as I was, asking God for the anointing to preach the gospel, seeking Him from early morning right throughout the whole day, that was the only way to prepare. And uh, I, I, I can remember how it kind of went. This is the time in the afternoon now. The morning had already been spent in the presence of the Lord, us praying together as a team. And the afternoon now, I, I shut myself away. I don't want to hear Christian life talk about football, you know. <laughs> I don't want to hear anybody talk about anything. I, I want, I, I want, just, just leave me alone. And I close the door. Now, I look at my watch. I think, okay, let's go. Now, one hour, seeking God, dealing with this thing, the body. I don't feel comfortable here. And which position? And, uh, you know. After an hour, okay, then what comes up is the stuff that's going on inside, the emotions, the stuff that's happening here, and keep on praying, and after that, in the third, into the third hour, I felt I broke through in the spirit. And I thought, if it's that easy, I'll tell everybody to do it, but you can't copy. It's just as God, uh, on that occasion. One hour, deal with the body. Second hour, deal with the soul. Third hour, you will have time in the spirit. And at the end of the third hour, it was glorious. It was wonderful. I knew what I was supposed to preach about. I had some messages of words for people who were going to be healed, all that kind of stuff. Everything was wonderful. And I said, okay, that's the time they're, be they're becoming soon. So I quickly go and freshen up. Now, I, I went into the bathroom. Now, uh, let's just remember, I'm washing my face. And that's, uh, don't picture anything else. That's what's happening. And um, for a moment, my mind goes off the preparation. And I'm just quickly getting ready. I am, as it were, still before the Lord. But something happened. I wonder if I would be able to describe it. Quite simply, I would say, God came. Now, that's easy to say. But that's exactly what happened. Now wait for a moment. You say, but you're praying, you just told us. You were praying one hour, two hours, three hours. You were talking so much about your prayer life that we're now beginning to think you were boasting. But I said all of that to say, waiting before God, not just sitting, watching television, watching cricket and thinking about Jesus, actually engaging with him. 
But now, God came. He was there before. I would have said if that's all I'd experienced that there was a wonderful time in the presence of God. But God came in a way that I don't think I've ever experienced again either before, uh, either since or even before. This experience lasted what must have been seconds. And I remember myself thinking, wow, this is what heaven must be like. And, and my mind went to these kind of thoughts. Nothing, whatever you go through on the earth, whatever suffering, whatever trial, whatever difficulty, nothing could compare with those few seconds in the presence of God. What would it be like for eternity? Amen and amen. Let me try and describe it for you. Now, you know that we talk about the presence of God. He is omnipresent, meaning he is all present, everywhere. Holy present, everywhere, all the time. But that doesn't mean to say that we are conscious of his presence. It doesn't mean to say that he always manifests his presence everywhere, all the time. So we can talk about God's omnipresence, that's his everywhere presence, and he's here today because he's everywhere present, then we talk about his manifest presence. And the way I experienced it, just to try and describe it to you, and afterwards I'll give up because it's impossible, was like previously God's presence had been in the background. Background. The background presence of God. And it was as if God took his background presence that's there everywhere and brought it forward just a tiny little bit. And it was almost overwhelming. And then pretty soon it was time for me to go. I won't describe the meeting now because I'll just go on talking about miracle stories and things like that. I want to finish this message and we'll have our own time in the presence of God. But that, that, that meeting was outstanding. God's presence was so amazing. His power was so amazing. The, Jesus is, is in heaven. He's physically in heaven, but he's present by his spirit. I could almost sense the form of Christ standing next to me. And the miracles that were happened, that happened. I can't remember which ones happened on that occasion. I probably got it written somewhere. And I won't tell you because I'll be picking miracles from here, then everywhere. But whatever amazing miracles they were, they were powerful. Thank God for his fear. The fear of the Lord, it's clean. The power of the Lord is amazing. The signs and wonders that broke out in the book of Acts and some of the ones that we saw were indisputable. Indisputable. Not every miracle is indisputable. I think I had a headache once, but I think, I think it's gone. Maybe it's coming back. That's not a miracle. But I believe that God will work miraculously in such a way that his works will be seen and beyond dispute. At times like this, Seeking God becomes our priority. We won't do anything to offend him. Everything to please him. And if we feel 
we have grieved him in any way, the, the time between the offense and us repenting will get shorter and shorter and shorter. And then it talks about remarkable growth. I want Kensington Temple to grow. I've studied church growth for 25 years. Listen to me carefully, then I'll explain. I'm not going crazy, but just listen carefully. I know how by before the end of this year, we can fill this place over and over again and for it not to be God. That's what I ask you to listen to the end. Through the gimmicks, through watering down the message, for turning up the entertainment value, high on comfort, high on superficiality, low on God. And I'm not pointing the finger, but I know all around the world I have seen churches do this, and it works. I don't want to do it because I want God. Amen. And so do you. But when God moves like this, you will, you will see the growth that will happen. And that growth won't just be the result of a sudden move of God. It'll be the result of people's prayers and sowing seed. Sow seed now, because when the rain comes, it's going to bring a harvest. Sow seed now. And don't just say, I'm sowing a seed. Lead them to Christ. Not everybody will come, but they do. They will. Many will. But when we, when we stop trying to make ourselves attractive, but simply experience and reflect the glory of the Lord, that is what does it. People don't want you, they don't want me, but when they see God, the attraction of who Jesus is and the glory of God, they won't be able to help themselves. So, in conclusion, which is not conclusion, it's one sentence. The musicians come back. Please. Let's ask God for a greater hunger than before. Let's ask God for a seriousness in which we say, Lord, we are frail um, and, and, and we, we are full of all kinds of stuff that dishonors you, but we want you to help us. You say, draw near to you and you will draw near to us. Let's do it, Kensington Temple. Let's do it. And I, I, I don't know if we actually greeted you who are watching online, wherever you are. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's say, God, we are hungry. We can't make it happen, but we can be hungry for it. We can wait on God. And in the doing of that, we're going to be blessed. Things are going to happen. We're going to be changed. Yes, yes, yes. 
And then when the time comes, when God exposes just a little bit more of his power, of his presence, we will be amazed at the, at the growth that will take place in our lives and we'll be amazed at the numbers of people who will want what we have because what we have is the bread of life and he is the only, only one who satisfies. Give Jesus a big praise and then let's all stand to our feet.